Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, From the Depths of Darkness to the Light of Success. I am your host, Chris Swick, and on this podcast, we talk about mental health, addictions, ADHD, and really anything anyone is afraid to talk about, we talk about it on this show. Don't be afraid at the end of the day to talk about these things, guys. It makes you stronger to share your story. I believe everyone's story is valuable at the end of the day. Doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. You're all welcome on my platform. If you could go hit that subscribe button over on YouTube, from the depths of darkness to the light of success, turn on those notifications. All the podcasts go up there in video format. Follow the show over on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave those reviews. Now let's bump that show up there, guys. And follow me over on Instagram at Depths of Dark Side. With no further ado, I'd love to introduce to you my next guest, Halen from Brampton, Ontario. We got Luke Lachlan in the building tonight and today, morning, whatever the hell we are, guys. Want to take it away and let them know a little bit about yourself, Luke, and what you're all about. Thanks a lot, Chris. It's an honor to be here. Every time I come on to something like this, I say a little prayer before it actually. I'd much rather give you my heart instead of my head right now. It's a pleasure. Luke Lachlan, Brenton, Ontario. I'm 31 years old. I am an alcoholic and an addict. I come from a loving family, played hockey, played sports growing up. You mentioned ADHD in the opening here, and I think where my life took a bit of a spin was when I was younger. I got diagnosed with ADHD and a learning disability around eight, nine years old in elementary school. And I remember the psychiatrist told my parents that but what I heard was your kid's stupid and he's not going to go anywhere. So for as long as I remember as a little kid, I was afraid that I was not going to be successful in life. Very uncomfortable, which led up to once I got into high school, taking that first drink and having my first drunk, which finally I felt that sense of comfort. And man, I couldn't wait till the weekend to come to, to get more alcohol into me. And pretty much alcohol preceded everything, sports. I was always just looking to numb out. That led to much trouble with the law, got into a little bit of drug dealing and ego feeding kind of sense of lifestyle. That came to an end, many broken relationships, destroying my family, all about me, very selfish and self-centered. Until 2019, I had an incident that landed me in jail, which got me to my first type of uh, any recovery. I went to rehab, came out, got sober. I uh, had about three and a half years before a relapse. Uh, I never dealt with some of the emotional traumas that I faced when I was younger. I did face some sexual abuse uh, when I was in my early teens, and uh, I never dealt with that stuff. And it definitely came out while I was in sobriety emotionally, and I had a relapse, which landed me back in jail for a little bit, back out into recovery again, which now I'm, I'm nine months sober today. I was three and a half before I slipped. Today I'm nine months and now I'm starting to see a therapist for some of the trauma stuff and trying new things to really dig deep into what was going on. Because I believe alcohol and drugs was just a symptom of to a problem that was really going on inside. The fear, the insecurities, the man, I was so worried about what people thought of me. I was constantly playing a character my whole life. So I'm really digging deep this time around to discover who I really am and dig up all that trauma. So as like a short snippet, that's where my journey has been. I can get into the war stories. We all got war stories, but at the end of the day, I drank alcohol for the effect. I did drugs for the effect. 
to just not live in my own skin, man. I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. So today I'm on that journey. I'm a mental health and addictions advocate. I got something going on with an organization called Men United, which is for men's mental health, because I do believe that if we can get to a preventative spot with kids when they're younger, maybe it can help out as they get. And I just want to I want my story to try and touch one or two people to not have to go through the hell that I've been through. A couple suicide attempts, suicide ideation, a lot throughout my whole life, just not wanting to be here. But sobriety has brought me a zest for life again. There is a purpose in my life today. And man, I'm excited. I wake up every morning for hope of a good day and what I can do to be useful. And some days there's bad days, but I don't have to pick up a drink or a drug. I got lots of tools in my toolbox. And I'd say that's probably just a little short snippet of who Luke is in recovery right now. That's amazing, Luke. What I hear here is resilience and recovery. Luke, your journey from years of alcoholism and addiction to getting sober is truly inspiring. Can you share with the listeners some of the key moments or strategies that helped you bounce back from that relapse at 30 years old and get back on the path to recovery? Yeah, I think something for that question. I was, so I was, after that relapse, I was in jail looking for fentanyl. I did not want to be here. I was so ashamed, letting down myself, my parents, and getting in trouble again. And this thought, when I was in there, I met this chaplain in there that he literally poked me in my chest and was like, you're worth um, recovery. You're worth a life, a good life. This doesn't have to be the end of your story. And I started going to this addictions course, and I realized that if we can be an example of getting sober and getting on that right path, we can be an example of starting over. And I, I felt so much shame in that relapse, like you were, I was a failure. But it happens. It happens. And what I did is I I learned from my lessons. What did I stop doing that brought me to that place? And dishonesty was a big one. I started being dishonest about a couple things in my life. And I was in a very unhealthy relationship. So I think for the listeners, especially anybody that's had a relapse, that if there's still breath in your body, there's hope. We don't choose the mountains that are in front of us, but we do have a choice of how we're going to navigate to the right path of that. And once I talked to that chaplain, I just, I sat there and was like, this isn't over. And I asked for help. I just kept asking for help. Anybody that had something that I wanted in the recovery space, how are you doing it? I need help. And over time, I started finding recovery again, and I'm in the position that I'm in today. That's amazing, man. You asking for help. That's a huge turning point for sure for anyone that's listening. You got to have to, you gotta, if you want the help, you have to ask for it. It's not just going to come to you and land in your lap. It's for lots of things in my life. I can speak for myself. I always thought things should just be handed over to me. I, at the beginning, talked about being selfish. And as an addict and an alcoholic, whatever the case is, doesn't matter. Addiction has many forms. It's not just a substance. But as an addict of anything, we're all selfish. I, I find any addict, if you find me an addict out there that isn't selfish, fuck, I'll give you a thousand dollars. But I don't think we'll find one of those because we are all selfish. And I still see it even in sobriety. Like you said, if you don't deal with those things too, that really, that point hit home too for me and probably a lot of the listeners. But if you don't deal with your past traumas or that emotional trauma or that abuse that you went through, 
as much as it sucks to talk about and open up that wound again, you're never going to fucking heal. You're never going to heal. I'm, I'm telling you that. I'm still dealing with things, but I'm, I'm realizing now and making those amends. I don't do a 12-step program. That's not for me, but it is for others. And everyone's recovery is different and that's okay. If you don't heal those wounds and just leave them open, you're never going to heal. You're just going to be a dry drunk or white knuckling it all the time, like you were saying. And, and that's what I'm doing now, going through and starting to make those amends. And as much as it sucks to write it out or however the, however you make your amends to the people you can, but you got to do it. You got to open up those wounds and dig deep to heal those wounds. I as well was molested as a child. I was talking to my brother the other day and I was just like, and the thought crossed my mind, but I'm not going to go do it. But I was just like, can you get me the address of that guy? Mm-hmm. And he's, no, we're not doing nothing. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's just stupid. And those are the thoughts that still go through my head at almost four years sober. And But I'm grateful that I have a support system that I do as well, man. And I love that you have these turning points as well, man. Many individuals struggling with addiction and mental health issues experience turning points that lead them to seek help. Can you describe a specific moment or realization that prompted you to start your journey to recovery and sobriety? Or was it that one that you just hit the nail in the coffin there with the chaplain in jail? The first one, that's a, that's a good question because we talked about being selfish, right? So my whole life, I blew up Christmas get-togethers, blew up jobs, blew up relationships, and at the end of it, I would be like, it's their fault. They did this, this is why I did it. If it was a job that was firing me, I'd walk out of there being like, I could run that place better. We always justify things, Yeah, always justify it. So my first turning point was the first time I was in jail. I talked to my mom and dad, and my dad said he was gonna get me a lawyer, which I like was trying to hold back the tears because I was like, why? I, I've been putting in, for the first time I could hear and see what I was putting my family through. And when I got back into my cell that night for the first time, Chris, in the 10, 12, 13 years of my addiction alcoholism, this thought went into my head of, you're the problem. Like, you need actual help. Because before it was always me pointing. And it was the first time it was a turning point of a thought being like, I think I'm the problem. I'm the common denominator here. And that was my first honest, when I went to rehab, I was like, help me. I don't know how to live. I need that help. And that was the first turning point in my life, which brought me to that three and a half years of sobriety. But yeah, it had to start with me, the common denominator. It's so true, man. You have to start with you. I still find myself blaming others. And it's easy to lapse back into that cycle of blaming others, I find, too, because you're so used to that. That's what my brain's wired to do, to blame everyone else but me. Thinking out loud the other and talking and angry a while back. and But everything I was saying was blaming others. I wasn't taking accountability for anything that I did to get me to this point or those types of things like... I made the choice to do those things. So at the end of the day, it is my fault and I'm the only one to blame. No one else is to blame if I fuck something up. Yeah. But I always re- re- go back to blaming others. That's, it was never your fault or never my fault. Mm-hmm. It was always someone else's fault or some other, something that happens fault, but never your own. You yeah. were the egotistical person that could never put your ego and pride aside. 
That's me, man, in a nutshell. Yeah, man. It's, I remember when I first got into recovery, this guy in sobriety, an older gentleman with experience, he's like, hey, do you want to hear some good news? I'm like, yeah, what's some good news? He's like, you're the problem. <laughs> we can do something about that. <laughs> it's so true, though. You are the ultimate problem in whatever's going on. I've been in some wild relationships, too, but when I think back to it, I was the problem. I was the reason they left. So there was no, there was nothing that they did to make them leave or whatever the case may be. I was the problem and I'm still the problem. I'm the, the owner of my own demise at the end of the day, man. I'm the, the gatekeeper to my life and stuff like that. So I, at the end of the day, have to have control of whatever I am, have going on too. Yeah, so. man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and just a quick thing too, right? We are talking about trauma. And sometimes subconsciously we're reacting from things from the past, which were, it's a subconscious, but we're still making those choices. But something I learned through therapy is the sexual abuse and stuff that happened, it actually happened with an older woman. So when I first came out with it, as a guy, there were certain guys around me that when they heard about it, they're like, dude, what are you, what are you so effed up about over that? You're the luckiest guy in the world. There was an older woman, you're like 15, 16. So I shut that down. I was, uh, I'm not talking about this anymore. But once I started talking about it, I realized the anger, just like you brought up when you're like, hey, what's that person's address? I had so much anger towards this woman, like where, man, I had some psychotic thoughts. And then I realized through therapy that a lot of my broken relationships, the way they ended, it was almost like I was trying to make certain partners pay for what this woman did, like my reaction. So that's the whole thing I'm discovering is like we do got to dig deep and unearth this stuff and heal this stuff because I bet you my whole life if I didn't start doing this I would probably still even in sobriety start having broken relationships and recovery because I'm still reacting off of some stuff that's happened a long time ago right yeah it's crazy like how you put whatever your parents your kids friends family partners through for stuff that happened to you before and they had nothing to do about it but they're take the shitty end of the uh -huh. stick they that you're there they're your punching bag and stuff like that and they don't deserve that no either. man no at the end of the day they don't deserve for them to be your punching bag when they did nothing wrong to you but want to help you it's fucked up how we hurt the ones that are closest yeah. to us too yeah they take the brunt of it all and and we can't do that to those people though because those are the ones that you push away and you might never get them back mm -hmm. at the end of the day and then it's a long road ahead of you again once you've pushed that loving relationship away and be like fuck like this is you that fucked it up so this is why you guys got to dig deep and for myself included still working on things and it's it's important to un you know unearth like you said those that trauma and really dig deep to what happened and just move on with it. But you got to unearth it, though, like you said. Dig deep into that gut of yours and let those emotions yeah, out man. in a healthy way. Yeah. Support systems, too, are huge, man. Recovery often involves building a strong support system. Who or what has been your greatest source of support during your journey? And how has this support influenced your ability to heal and grow? 
Yeah, support systems are huge. And it started off, I'm somebody from, I'm a, from a 12-step program, and there's a couple other forms of recovery of people that I chat with. But I have a solid three guys in my life um, that were in the same recovery groups, and we talk to each other almost once a day. Um, and we have these real conversations of what's going on. What, what What's my thought process like today? And when I'm... Because sometimes the way my head works, if I was to just go to my mom and dad and be like, hey, this is how I'm thinking today, they'll be like, what? <laughs> what do you mean where I got a support system of guys that are like-minded, that are on the same path as me, where I can share these things that are going on in my head. And usually one of them is going to be like, yeah, man, that's how my thinking was not too long ago, or I'm still thinking like that today. And we have those talks. Like That has been very important for me is having that kind of tight, couple guys where you can share everything that's going on in your mind but then also family man family i've put my family through absolute hell and after them seeing the work i was doing because they didn't want to hear sorry anymore but the work pays off once people start seeing your actions or changing and because when i actually got sober i never made a promise to my family i was never going to drink again or stay sober i just did the work started doing the work and my mom and my dad are one of my biggest supports. I can be very honest with them of, of what's going on and my brother and sister and, and nieces and nephews. So family's huge, but in a recovery sense, I cannot do this alone. I need people that are in the same ring, that are going through the same struggles, recovering from the same struggles, so I can open up that dialogue and not feel alone. Because I isolate myself from everybody, friend groups, family, pushed everybody away. And I need community. The opposite of addiction I always heard was connection, right? I need that connection with other humans. And I cannot do this alone. I cannot do this alone. I can't be in my head alone. So a couple solid people in recovery, family. And I think for me, that's the biggest part of my support. And friends, healthy friends that are on board with what you are doing and aren't going to ask you to go certain places or put certain things in front of you they, they cheer you on more they're very happy of where you are in your life and they support where you are that's always key to have those when ha rebuild that friend group or have the true friends that you have that family that supports you but like you said people don't want to hear sorry anymore after so many stories you know you need to show them action and if you're not showing action, that story means shit yeah. at the end of the day. When I found that out early on in recovery, especially with my, you know, my now wife, but even today, like if I don't show action, my story still means shit. And, and, and I get it, you know, w without action, that story is just a bunch of words. It doesn't mean anything unless you're showing change, yeah. showing that you want this and those types of things. So it's, it's very key to make those amends, like I said at the beginning of this episode, and but actually put some thought and effort in, not just, hey, I'm sorry for what I did for 30 years. Yeah. It doesn't fucking cut it. Why are you sorry? Yeah. They want to know the why. Name off the things you did mm -hmm. and tell them how fucking regret, how much you regret it, how ashamed you are, because you made them feel like shit. It's only right that you feel like shit, and I'm not saying that it's a tit for tat, but you got to dig deep and really feel their pain put yourself in their shoes what the fuck did they feel yeah man yeah yeah at the end of the day you got to put yourself in other shoes and not be egotistical put that pride aside and 
really show them that you mean it. Yeah, and, and you've mentioned just you've mentioned the immense process, which I think is so crucial in recovery. Like it, it rarely show me one or two. Show me some people who spent ten to twenty years of drinking and drug use, and they can just sit there and say, "Oh, I didn't hurt anybody." Like I. I had a Christmas get-together that I blew up on my mom's side of the family. Actually, I'm not proud of this, but it, it, this is just going to go into the whole men's process. I ended up stabbing a cousin of mine at this Christmas get-together. I was out of my mind drunk. There were some problems in the family, but anyways, that led to my mom not talking with her sisters for five, six years. Me, them not wanting anything to do. We didn't get invited to any Christmas get-togethers. And when I got sober, I went through an amends process and I called a couple of my aunts. I made a mess, an amends with my cousin that it happened to and we're good today. But there was two aunts that were involved that when I called to reach out to meet up to make an amends, both of them were like, no, we want nothing to do with you. You pretty much ruined our, our family Christmases. So pretty much be on your way. But I ended up getting a call from them two months later. Hey, we want to meet up. And when I got to their house, my one aunt was like, I didn't recognize your voice. And like you said about the amends, right? I stated like the things I did. And I even asked them, is there anything that I'm missing how I hurt you that I don't really know about like that? And we talked about some of those things. And by the end of that, we were crying. We were having some laughs. And today, some of those family members are my biggest support team today. So the amends process is powerful. But like you said, the stories aren't going to cut it anymore. It is action and having those deep conversations with that. So true, man. It's so important when I'm going to start making more amends because I got a lot of them to make. And it's going to suck on my end. It's going to hurt, but... It's going to feel good, though, too, getting that weight off your chest as well. And these are to the people that really supported me, you know what I mean? It's just doing that work and showing that you're putting in that work is what they want to see. Just staying sober isn't just enough or staying clean. You actually got to show that work and that action as well, everyone. Yeah. You know, this ties into helping others, man, and being supportive of others as well. It's fantastic to hear that you're now helping others on their recovery journeys. Could you share some insights into the ways you're contributing to your community and what motivates you to assist others in their recovery and healing today? Yeah, so I always think of how I got helped. How I got helped was a couple people, like rehab for sure, but it was a couple people that were on the path of recovery who sincerely just wanted to help me for nothing in return. They had a solution that worked for them with alcoholism and addiction, and they were sober for a while. And I never got that at first. I was like, you guys aren't in this for, like, money? And it was this humility thing that I seen. So as I got sober and started putting my life back together, I was asked, like, we don't need anything back. Just do what we've done with you. Do it with other people. And one thing I've noticed is when you get out of yourself and into somebody else, you, you don't have time to think about some of your judgments or you're blaming others. When you get to connect with somebody else that's struggling and there's not a better feeling than helping another alcoholic or addict and you see the light go on in their eyes and you start hearing things through them that, hey, my relationship with my mom and dad or my sister or at work's getting a bit better. I, I love that. 
Now today too, I've ventured out even more to the mental health aspect with like I talked to you. I had a guy reach out to me with Men United. He was just starting this this brand that he wants to do to help guys get talking. So we're starting it in Brampton. We're going to run an event in February, I believe. We're just working on that now. And really all I want to do is give back. I've been a taker my whole life, especially in my city. I've been like a menace to this city and taker. And all I want to do today, man, is just try to help a couple extra people from where I'm from. And if it goes further than that, and what I find too is the more and more I am of service, it ensures my sobriety. The more I'm getting out of myself and into other people and, and thinking about them and trying to help them out, it, it gives me this insurance for sobriety. And people did it for me and it's my turn to pass it on for others. And it is just such a huge part of recovery is giving back what was so freely given to you. There's other people that pulled you out of that darkness and now you hook onto that chain and you pull somebody else up. And that's all. I just, I just want to be a, a servant because I'm grateful to be alive today. There's a time where it didn't look too pretty for me. So it's my repayment for being alive and sober today is helping another. It's all about helping others and not expecting anything in return, mm. like you said. Just being able to be of service and help someone else that's struggling. Mother, it's just with a quick phone call. I get people that reach out all the time. Hey, I wanna quit drinking. I wanna do this, I wanna do that. It starts with you, I tell them. Like, that's the main thing. Like, I, I, I can send you in the right direction, but you gotta want it. It's not just like I can snap a finger f for you and, and you, you fucking soul. It doesn't work yeah. like that. I, I enjoy non-alcoholic beers that may not be for everyone but I had a buddy that reached out and he works in the mental health system as well but he's hey man like this is just getting out of control we we chat on and off still man I've sold his family a car those types of things and but I but it was nice of him to reach out but he's hey can you give me send me a few of your takes on the non-alcoholic beers whatever he's he sends me pictures all the time hey man I got these now I just want to be feel like I'm a, still a part of things too and, and that's what it's all about it doesn't matter how you go about it in my opinion like people in some of the programs will say hey that's a relapse no it's not mm -hmm. like your recovery is your recovery my recovery is my mm -hmm. recovery and this is the way I'm going to do mm -hmm. it but at the end of the day because at the end of the day in those programs too <laughs> when I'm not knocking you for being in them mm -hmm. we're not supposed to judge but there are still people that when they when they start judging are you working your program or no? But then the day, that's what I asked a couple people yeah. a couple years back, and they didn't like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's fine with yeah. me. You know what I mean? That 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 goes to show me that maybe okay, those people aren't for me, and that's okay with me. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know what I mean? Just because I do this and you can't, that's not my problem. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, and I haven't touched a drug or a drink, you know, in almost four years now. I thought about going the, let's well, I can smoke weed, what's legal. That was my justification yeah. of my wife at the time, yeah. too. And I started that, and it didn't go well because it just brought the addict out of me when I run yeah. out and fucking start going fucking nuts. You know, just just like cigarettes, man. They're another fucking drug, yeah. but that's another thing I got to quit. And same thing, you don't have them. It's just like that fucking vice of yours. It's like that last vice I don't want to let go of. Yeah, man. Yeah, smoking. So it, yeah, it's it's a very tough one, but it's it's another drug itself. At the end of the day, yeah. it's evil.
and I still do it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, same. <laughs> That's like that last vice. I was talking to my health coach. She's, I get it, Chris. I was in your spot at one time too, smoking cigarettes and stuff like that. I just, but then you go to vaping. But what is it solving? There's nothing solved if you just go to the next vice. No. If you're going to quit, like I was just like, got to quit, but I don't want to. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's another no, addiction. I agree. I, it's the addict in me. Mm-hmm. If I give that up, now my life's going to really be upside down. Well, no, it's not. It's actually probably going to get fucking better. <clears throat> but, yeah, you know, just being a service, like you said, let's tie back into that. But it's just, like, just helping others out there. If you see someone out there struggling, help them. Don't make fucking fun of them. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. don't sit there and bash them or all those types of things. I, and You don't need to post all the time about oh I did this for this I handed out fifty sandwiches yeah. to the homeless. Who cares? Yeah. It, and I and some people are not doing it for the wrong reasons, but there's a lot of people out there that do it for the wrong reasons, just for the accolades mm-hmm. online. Who cares? Just do it, and people will see it. Trust me. Yeah. Things come. Good things come your way when you do good things for other people. A hundred. They will come your way. People will. Yeah, man. I I want to just say a quick thing about that. I learned. It's they call it anonymous giving. So yeah, you rarely will see, depending on what it's for. But I was always taught, and I love living by this, anonymous giving. So it's doing stuff for others without getting found out. Even if you can do something for somebody and them not even realize you did it for them. Because I get this ball of joy in my heart when I do stuff like that. But I've also lost that ball of joy when I've went and been like, yeah, I guess what I did today. I've seen this person struggling, so I went and did it. What's what is my motive behind sharing that? Do I need that accolade? Do I need the pat on the back that Luke's a good guy? Because maybe I'm struggling with some insecurity or something, right? So anonymous giving is the best thing to do. If you can, the way I look at it, I, I believe in God, a higher power. It's not the guy in the clouds, but I've connected to a power source. My higher power sees the good work I do. I don't need somebody else knowing the good work I do. And if they do find out without me telling, then hey, then it is what it is, right? But I love what you brought up there. What are you looking for here at the end of the day? At the end of the day, as myself, that's me. That's my ego coming out there. Hey, give me that pat on the back. Give me that handshake. Tell me I'm awesome. (laughs) You don't need to fucking do that. But that's my ego coming out. And I've done that many times. (laughs) But no one gives a fuck. Or they shouldn't. Anyone in their right mind shouldn't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, Cool, cool, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's that's the response I should expect. I've gotten it before. My, even my wife has been like, and what are you looking for? You did a good thing. That that's you should be happy for yourself. Happy for that. Yeah, you don't need a fucking pat on the back for yeah. me. Yeah, and we can alcoholics and addicts can be like that, eh? We burn our life to the ground, and then once we start doing good, we want to parade. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Right? How can we <laughs> shut down the downtown and let's have a party? Chris has been sober, fucking clean and sober for years. But I've also been an asshole through the time. Yeah. Like, I, I don't deserve a pat on the back at the end of the day. There's people out there doing much better than me. Mm. But I can always learn from my mistakes. If you're not learning from your mistakes, there's no growth yeah. there either. Yeah. Balancing and self-care, man, and giving back. Balancing your own healing and growth while supporting others can be challenging, like we were just talking about. How do you find the equilibrium 
between self-care and helping those in need. Do you have any advice for individuals who are in a similar position to us? Yeah, or yourself? yeah. You, man, you need to disconnect. You need to disconnect. I am a huge people pleaser. I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday where when we're doing stuff on social media and trying to help out, you do get a lot of messages from people and, and they're reaching out to you. And some people want to have conversations with you. Uh, plus, you also got your job and you got this going on, that going on. Lately, I've been trying to do those social media breaks. But in the morning, a big thing with the balance, in the morning, my morning routine, I get up at 5.30 a.m. Uh, and I do my prayers and meditations. I journal. I do my daily planner. And I spend time with Luke. For I don't pick up my phone till probably 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning. I have to do that because I got to pour into me before I can pour into anybody else. But the people pleaser can come in for me, and I've caught that a few times where I'm, I'm trying to get back to all these messages, and next thing you know, like an hour and a half has just gone by, and I'm not fully engaged with the messages. So I have times in my week, I even got like a calendar up on my wall where it's no, like it's off the table. My phone goes away for an hour or two hours, and I either read a book, take a nap, or do something where I have no stimulation from anybody. I think this is very important because I've had my moments where I've been overwhelmed, Chris, and I notice when I'm overwhelmed, I start getting to that, not a, almost a depression, and I just want to sleep and just zone out. And so once I've noticed that happen a couple times, I had to reorganize my, my schedule and my routines and put these things in place of no social media, no phone, pick up a book or watch a movie and hang out with Luke. Just hang out with me and have that self-care. Go take a cold shower, a cold dip, go do something like that. I have to do that or it'll drive me nuts. And I'm starting to get away from that place of feeling bad that I might not have gotten back to somebody because I, once again, man, I got to take care of myself because I'm useless to everybody if I don't take care of myself. So if there's one thing I can give to the listeners, self-care, spending time with yourself is very important and you need to do it or you will get overwhelmed. You will burn out and get yourself, for me, I'll get myself into a place where my head's not doing too good. So I find the balance on making those actual time frames of times to put the phone away and just connect with myself. That's how I find the balance. So, that's a great idea too for everyone listening, even for myself. I, I definitely can feel you on the overstimulation then I just get like in that depressive state and just want to sleep. And I've been there many times and even lately I have. I did that not too long ago and just laid around and then I'm pissed off I didn't get this and that done but I'm the only one I can be pissed off at is myself mm -hmm. no one else that was my choice no one else made me do that I'm the one that procrastinated and be decided to be a fucking lazy fuck that yeah. day and do nothing when I could have done lots mm -hmm. I could have got a lot of things done but I chose not to and then I'm the you know, I have no one else to blame but myself and let people pleasing you know I get it people reaching out about this and that you know I'm only a one-person show, people. Like, I, I can't absolutely, you know, answer everyone. And, you know, if I don't get back to you, I'm sorry. And, you know, if you take that to heart, I'm sorry. I feel bad for you because, you know, it, you shouldn't take it to heart. We're, we're only humans, you know, so don't get fucking pissed off at people because they don't get back to you or whatnot. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like in the business I'm in, too. I can only 
I don't make the fucking vehicles. <laughs> I just sell them. Like, I, when yours gets, I, I don't have it sometimes. Like, I, I wish I did. Trust me. But, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you have pissed off customers. And, but what are you going to do? Like, you, you give them your honest answer and they still don't like it. You're transparent with them. They still don't like yeah. it. Yeah. I, would you like me to call you every month and say, hey, huge news. Your vehicle's not here yet. <laughs> what do you want me to yeah. do? If that's the update you want me to give you, I'm all for it. But I don't think it's going to go well. So I don't know what other answer you want. Just because I don't give you the answer you like, that's not a reflection on me. It doesn't matter what it's about. Yeah. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean that's a reflection of me. That's a reflection of you at the end of the mm-hmm. day. We're all entitled to talk. Like you got, you should be able to explain your why. Yeah. And those types of things. Not just say I hate this. Why do you hate? Why is that? <laughs> those types of things. I'm, I'm, yeah. It's it's not just all, just because. <laughs> There's got to be a reason. Oh so, yeah. I'm notorious for that. Just because. Just because. <laughs> yeah. Just because I felt like it. I felt punching Johnny out down the street. Just because. Just because. Didn't like the way he looked. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not the way it no. is, though, in reality, people. There's got to be, there's a reason behind everything. There's a motive behind everything you do. And make sure, you know, the motive's good today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Well, thank you again, man, for coming on the show, Luke. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day today to do this episode, man. It was a great episode. Resilience in recovery and the great turning points in your life, man. It's all about support systems and giving back what was so freely giving to you, everyone. But where can everyone find you if they want to follow along in your journey or if they want to reach out to you? Don't be mad if they, he doesn't answer, guys. We, we can't be people pleasers our whole life. I, I'll try. I try. I do try and get back to his mate. But uh, yeah, I'm at my Instagram is at Lachlan, L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N-1881. As my tag on Facebook, you can find me, Luke Lachlan. Yeah. That's where you guys can find me. There's one one little thing I just wanted to say too before I get off here, Chris. Go year, ahead. But I'm also looking for something that happened in 2019. I'm looking at a couple of years. There's a chance I could go to prison for a few years. That's something that's hanging over my head because our consequences sometimes can stay with us. And if anybody is facing some sort of mountain or some sort of circumstance in their life and recovery and it feels so big, there's something that I've always believed my higher power of the universe i've always said if there's work for me to do in there i will probably go in there and if my work is to be out here and be of service i probably won't go in there and since i've developed that faith and that belief in that whatever does come i'm going to be able to sit comfortably with it knowing that i can go through it sober and maybe there's somebody in there i can help or i stay out here and help people so no matter what's facing you there's hope to get through it that's amazing man i wish you all the best and cross our fingers that you get to stick on this side of the fence but like you said if you got to go serve that time you got to go serve that time but you have a purpose if you're going in there as well i had a friend that had to do the same he got sober and everything but he had to unfortunately go in and face the consequences and he's out now but he just went in and did it and came out the same person he was if not stronger when he went in too But I wish you all the best. Thank you again for coming on the show, Luke. I appreciate everything that you brought to the episode today and to the listeners, man. Amazing story. Go, guys. Go check out Luke Lachlan over on Instagram or Facebook. Thank you again, everyone. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day.